everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Voles, site manager over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. Hey, and today I have a special guest, my old friend, Michael Felder, over at the stadium now. Mike, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good, man. Just living the dream, you know. Well, not really living the dream, but pretending to live the dream in terms of, you know, work, living. I live in Chicago now, so it's not great. You're in Chicago now? Yeah. I, ne- I, I didn't know that. I hate it. <laughs> but you're so close. You're so close now. <laughs> I am I am close, and I cannot wait to go back to Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd think it would be a dream. Uh, if, if anyone follows uh, Felder's Instagram, there's a, there's a lot of good food that you're cooking up, buddy. Yeah, I'm working on. Listen, that's the thing. That's my escape from. Are you waiting for college football to like be outlawed, and so that you just squeeze right on in? Chicago's a good spot. There's lots of places to eat there. You can just squeeze on in as a chef. No one even notice. But it's tough to it's tough to get ramps here. You can't get you know you can't get ramps here, which is brutal. Yeah, yeah, can't get Duke's mayonnaise, which is brutal. No Texas Pete, that's brutal. So (laughs) I can just see all the stuff I can't have. (laughs) <laughs> well the, the the midwest the midwest is uh is happy to have you while we have you so hey have mike on here tonight or today i i'm all screwed up i normally record these things at the night <laughs> it's, it's the morning time uh i'm looking at an empty beer can from the last one i drank last night so anyways <laughs> we got about here today talk Notre Dame football of course uh in just a few hours from this recording uh brian kelly's gonna kick things off uh, with the fall camp uh, press conference. So mm-hmm. we're going to get things rolling. And speaking of Brian Kelly, he is basically Brian Kelly 3.0 right now. Yes. And how, let me ask you this. Were you surprised by the turnaround that Kelly was able to make after the 2016 season? Um, Not super surprised because when I think about Notre Dame in that 2016 season, obviously it was a rough one, but it was one of those things where this team, I, I, for me, I think about Brian, like you mentioned, Brian Kelly 3.0. I think about the way that I, the stages that I think about it in are Brian Kelly to up to 2012 was Brian Kelly 1.0 where he was like, yeah, everything that I do, it works. It's all perfect. And then he gets smashed by Alabama and then we get to 2016, as you mentioned, that four and eight year. And I thought he was like, we're close. We just need to do this, this, and this better. And I thought he, again, dialed into what he needed to do. And so I was not super surprised by the the turnaround because I think he is a coach that does, without with, with, with the exception to one blind spot, I think he is a coach that recognizes we need X, Y, and Z so that we can get to where we want to be. And I think he did that after 2012. Things obviously didn't go great in 2016, but he adjusted to make sure that they were able in 2018 to get to the playoff. Yeah, and part of that uh, part of that big turnaround for him was was a, was a cleaning of house, sort of yes. speak. You know, uh, and and we uh, I don't think Matt Bayless gets mentioned enough, which is Notre Dame's uh, strength and conditioning coach, because mm-hmm. he had he had his good he had his Honestly, his good friend, his best friend in the world, Paul Longo, uh, for the longest time, for as long as he's been coaching, you know, Longo's been next to him, finally made the move. And you, you can see a huge difference in, you know, 
in a, in a lot of those guys. They're right. The way the player, I mean, faster. Yeah. Jerry, I mean, the, the top, the clear, the clear example is Jerry Tillery, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the kid completely changed his entire body <laughs> and was, and was a, became a monster player. Yeah, absolutely. And then there, you have your two other hires, uh, you know, Chip Long and, <laughs> and Mike Elko and, but Elko brought it on as a, uh, his buddy Clark Lee there. And I mean, it, it was such a vast overhaul. It was almost like Notre Dame got an entire new head coach. I mean, yes. but one that was, and, and I think maybe that was the advantage there was because of the massive overhaul and, and the fact that it wasn't a new head coach. It was someone who understood everything that else there was about Notre Dame, which every new coach in Notre Dame takes a few years to get used to. He was already there. So it, it seemed like a, like a, just a huge difference. Yeah, it was a huge, it was a huge difference. And I think the big thing for me was him sort of relinquishing control over some things, specifically on the offensive side of the ball that allowed them to in spots be a little more explosive. I think obviously losing, I think, if, I think losing Elko to A&M obviously was a step back, but I think that Clark Lee has figured out which guys are which guys are his dogs and who he's going to roll with, and I think that's a big positive. Um, I two of my favorite guys are not with Notre Dame anymore. Micah Dutreadway and Darnell Ewell. I was really looking forward to seeing them in this iteration of the team, but obviously Ewell has been kind of not processed out medical hardship, and then obviously Treadway Micah Dutreadway is at Minnesota now. Um, but as, as a whole, I look at guys like I want to see Dalen Hayes go out and get things done. I want to see what this secondary looks like. So um, in my mind, I think that these guys really do own their two sides of the ball. Again, with the exception, and we'll see if it, it remains an exception to the quarterback position. Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, both sides of the ball here. Chip Long, were you, were you surprised at all about um, – his level of success coming from Memphis. Oh uh, no, I watch a lot of Memphis football. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that, that's why I asked you. I, I wanted. To... <laughs> so you were, you were pretty well dialed into uh, to, to Chip yeah. Long and to, to the whole story about him. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me was I remember when he was at Arizona State and he was a tight end coach and they had sort of people call them a flex tight end or H back or whatever. And they're, they, those guys were finding ways to dice up defenses consistently when he was at Arizona state. And then at Memphis, obviously he was a guy that was just really getting really producing. So I think that that's a big thing. So I'm not super surprised at the success. I'm more um, interested in how they rev that up because the big thing that got me in the playoff and the thing that I do tell Notre Dame fans when we talk is, you, you you have to you have to have more offense, and I think that's the part where we've got to see them expand in 2019, going on to 2020. Is we've got to see that we got we got to have more offense. And you look at the three the, the three teams they were in the playoff with from a Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma standpoint, and look at their quarterbacks in terms of production and in terms of numbers, and you look at their offense in terms of points per game and whatnot, and those it was it was a situation where of the four teams one of them is not like the other and it wasn't necessarily a defensive number because Oklahoma was the team that was lagging behind defensively but when you look at from an offensive standpoint you have Oklahoma the number one scoring offense in the country Alabama three Clemson two and then you had Notre Dame down at 42 and 
you gotta, we have to realize that in this day and age, and I don't love it, but that's the facts that <laughs> I don't, I do you not don't love, love four hour games. I don't love four hour <laughs> games, but the reality of the situation uh, is you have to have an offense that's incredibly potent to be able to win at that level because you have to challenge these defenses. And that was where Notre Dame was lagging behind. So I want to see Chip Long on this offense continue to grow and rev up this production. I mean, we had the last couple of Heisman Trophy winners have thrown for 40 touchdowns in a season. Right. That's what, that's just, that's what you have to do to be at that level. And 19, 19 touchdowns isn't going to do it. Now, Chip Long was very, very, he, he's really, he's pretty open and pretty brash guy. Yes. Uh, so in the, in the spring, when they opened up the press conference, he, and he, he's an honest guy, just kind of a, you know, he comes off as one of those quote unquote, you know, like script shooters. Yeah. He'd keep it real out there. So he had talked about, they just were not explosive on offense yeah. compared yeah. to 2017. He's like, you know, we're, we're, we're averaging, you know, a 50 yard play every half. He's like, I think they had maybe like, you know, like four in, in all 2018 or whatever it was. Um, six, they had six. Like you're, yes, you're, yeah. you're not off. They had six 50 yard plays. That's it. Yeah. So he, he had uh, highlighted that quite a bit. The problem is, is that one of your best weapons, you know, Dexter, uh, most explosive weapon, weapons, Dexter Williams, takes off for the NFL. Sure. Who do you do you have some guys that uh, that you have kind of labeled out as could be someone that could be explosive? Because Ian Book, for as much as we hope that our long ball uh, with with Ian Book gets a little bit better. We just don't know until we see it in a game that he's able to really push the ball downfield. Right. Do you have a few guys you, you're kind of keeping an eye on? Well, obviously, I think the obvious answer is Chase Claypool, right? right? I mean, he is someone that, but for him, he's not. I don't view him as a guy that's going to do like, like we saw Miles Boykin do a few times, take a shorter pass and then turn it into a bigger play. I think he's someone that you push it. He's very Hakeem Butler from Iowa State give him the ball down the field and he's going to go up and make a play. And I think that's cool because he uses his size and he's got a lot of it. I think Chris Fink has to be the guy that because we see what he does on, on, on punt returns. I think he has to be someone that can be more, you got to create space for him so that he can turn a screen into a punt return. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Oh yeah. I mean, you're talking about like, I I don't want to say jailbreak screen or anything like that, but (laughs) but yeah, you get, you, you definitely have to have some do some movement around, free him up to get that so, ball in space and do what he can do. Right. And then I think I'm I'm very interested in Jafar Armstrong. Obviously, he's played a little wide receiver, played obvious running back. I just for me, I think that you have to use him as a weapon to create mismatches. And I think part of that has to do with motioning with motioning him out of the backfield. I think you they should go into games and run, put 21 personnel in the games, which is two running backs, one tight end, and then motion him out of the backfield so that now he's matched up on a linebacker. Something we see Oklahoma State do with Chuba Hubbard. Um, Motion him out so he's matched up on a linebacker, and he can run a route, and guess what? He's going to be wide open. So I think you've got to do some of those things to create those explosive plays because relying on the defense to just give them to you isn't enough. And then moving over to the other side of the ball, we uh, Notre Dame is replacing quite a bit this season from from last year. You know, with Jerry Tillery on the defensive line, Jonathan yeah. Bonner, who never gets enough credit from anybody um, mm-hmm. for what he what he did in the middle there, a defensive tackle at the at the one technique, yep. and then of course Drew Tranquil, Tavon Coney, 
and then and Julian Love. I mean, there's a lot of big names mm-hmm. from last year's defense that are gone. I think Notre Dame has is doing a fairly decent job um, on the defensive line because look, we're three deep, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at defensive end, and some of those guys can be moved inside, and in the nickel package, they will definitely, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll put Khalid Kareem down, you know, as, as you a three technique defensive tackle, but we're still there's still a big jumble at linebacker. Uh, is there anything that, uh, that you've seen, uh, at all? Do you have any answers? <laughs> Do <you> no. Have- <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, these guys got to grow up. Like we're all reaching right now for, for like, God, yeah. who is going to, who is going to play the linebacker? Cause they moved Asmar Bilal from, from the Rover all the way over to the mic. And I think a lot of people believe at some point, Shane Simon, who they moved from Rover to Mike as well is going to be able to overcome him. But none of the, I mean, we're all just waiting for fall camp for pieces to start falling. How concerned are you about that? I mean, they have some athletes there for sure, but none of these guys uh, really are proven players. I think they should be less concerned about position and more concerned about who's the best. The baller like, out there. Right? Like the reality is Bilal and Simon are the two best linebacker options they have. Put them in the game together. It's like, Put them in, put them both in the game together, and I think that's something that a lot of coaches get bogged down in. He's a this or he's a that, or we're moving him to this. But put put guys that are put all the good like because we see Notre Dame do this, and I, I not to seg, not to segue to the offensive line, but we see Notre Dame do this on the offensive line. We see them just put the best five out there. I don't care that Tommy Kramer came in as a tackle and now he plays guard. And you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care. Right. Put the best guys in there. And I think they've got to do the same thing. Excuse me. We got to, they got to do the same <laughs> thing at linebacker. Um, they have to do the same thing at linebacker. I think Bilal, excuse me. I got the sneezes. Bilal and Simon are the two best linebacker options. Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> Bilal and Simon to me, I think are probably the two, two of the two of the top three best linebacker options. And instead of trying to fit them both at Mike, let's put one at Mike, let's put one at will. And then let's sort out who's playing that Rover spot and we'll go from there. So I think that that that's one of the things that we'll find. I think in fall camp, they're going to realize let's just get these guys on the field and let's see who plays. Okay. Yeah. And then what seems as a, a huge weakness. And we saw what happened against Clemson when Julian love went out and And as a former defensive back myself and as a former def- defensive back who played yeah. for the North Carolina Tar Heels, Michael Felder, I think Dante Vaughn got a really bad rap from that game because I sure. watching it, I thought his positioning, you know, defending the defending the player, he was right on he was right on. He has a torn labrum. That's a difficult sure that's a difficult injury to have to put your your arm up in arm the air up, while you're to running. move your yeah. arm up is hard. <laughs> so the scary thing is, okay, Julian loves, you know, onto the NFL now, but Notre Dame returns everybody else. Yeah. And from a, from a defensive backfield, that was six, I think, yeah, but we're sixth in uh, defensive pass efficiency last year. Part yeah. of a huge part of that is because of Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman out about like safety. Let, let's talk about the secondary for a minute, for a minute, Notre Dame. Uh, let's talk about the biggest strength we have. And that's with our safeties. What do you what do you see there with Elliott and Gilman? Um, I love Aloy Gilman. I think he everybody talks about transfer this, transfer that, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I thought he was the best impact transfer, right? Notre Dame's top 10 in passes defended a year ago. And 
that doesn't and what that stat doesn't take into account is the amount of times that they denied throws because there was clearly nothing there. And that has a lot to do with Jalen Elliott. It has a lot to do with Lowy Gilman. He's a guy that I I love his understanding of the game. So that's fantastic. I, I think that those two are strong. And the key for me is you've got to have six defensive backs. And we talked about it from an offensive standpoint of being more explosive. From a defensive standpoint, you got to have six guys that you trust day in, day out to get the job done in your secondary. And that's where I know we what do we have? We're talking Houston Griffith and Troy Pride, Dante Vaughn. Sean, Cro- Sean Crawford makes will be uh is healthy and making his return for on his fifth year this oh, year. So which is that's even that's even better. So I think the secondary, you've got to feel like that's your strongest unit, right? It's one of those I, well, I think defensive end is probably <laughs> is probably our strongest unit, but but on but I would defensive back is definitely up there in, in terms right. of, of just pure talent. It's just one of those things. You've got talented guys there. I've, I've completely forgot about Sean Crawford. I'm looking at my spreadsheet because he wasn't healthy. I forgot. I, I left him off. But healthy Sean Crawford, that's a big add-in. And so now you have – now you're getting to that six number, which is what you need to have to go make plays. And I think for them the key is going to be we have to be able – we have to contest every ball. And I think – one of the things that good secondaries do is get really comfortable with pass interference. And it Our favorite is, call. it's the most overcalled penalty in college, in college football. In the NFL, you probably won't be able to watch anymore ever again. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> the most overcalled penalty, but I think in LSU does a good job of this. Florida does a good job of this. Clemson is, do, is doing a good job of this is they, Pass interference, they do what qualifies to most people as pass interference so much that the referees stop calling it. Kind of like what Michigan State used to do. Exactly. Yes, exactly. What Michigan State used to do where their hands were on you all the time and they're disrupting you all the time to the point where we can't call all of these penalties. Otherwise, this game will last not four hours, but five. Or like so, what Michigan's offensive line does when they just when they hold every play. Hold every so. play. Yeah. That's what Al- what Alabama does often on their offensive yep. line, hold every play. So you have to be more physical. And that's what if I'm looking for anything out of this group, it's more physicality. It's being more physical. It's being it's muscling up harder. And I think that's where they can go from a group that was what 44th in the country or whatever it was in terms of total pass defense, but 10th in passes defense. I think they can stay in that top 10 and continue to improve their actual the number of pa- of deep balls and explosive plays they give up by making sure that they've always got hands on guys. Now, one of the one of the uh, the best freshmen uh, for Notre Dame this year is uh, safety Kyle Hamilton, and there yes. has been there's been some very very real talk about even though Sean Crawford is a is our best nickelback by far when he's healthy, there's still there's still the possibility of moving Jalen Elliott up to nickel at times and allowing Kyle, Kyle Hamilton to go back there at safety. Do you have any thoughts about, uh, about Hamilton? And, and, and do you think that's a, that's a good plan to use uh, moving forward for Notre Dame for, for his freshman year? If he can handle the work, let him do it. Honestly, yeah. like that's, I'm a big, I'm a big rumor even about him playing play. some wide receiver this year too. Like they, they want, I think Notre Dame's salivating. He was deadly. He was deadly at wide receiver in high school. So, and I didn't know that. I just I listened to another podcast the other day, and, and someone had mentioned that, and like, dear God, this 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 kid's got to be 
as advertised. No, <laughs> just just the, the, either that or it's it, it's it's a little too much. But but yeah. uh, now before we move completely off of the defense here um, and move on to some bigger picture things, Notre Dame's best player, and I think in a lot of people's eyes, is Julian Acor at defensive end, and it's at a posi- position group where we are just stacked. You know, on on both ends. You know, I, I can't remember. I think they're calling them Shark and. Uh, I, I it's so and strong or whatever it, it, it was the drop Shark and strong. I the for the the drop end the your rush end. I think they, sure. they ch- ch- changed the name to Shark. Like they had like a like a group meeting about get a different name. I don't know. Do I, so do I? And I'll, I'm asking for my spreadsheet. Do I need to update yeah. it from just D E to? I think we'll get clarification today with, with Brian Kelly because it, it's it, it was a post spring change. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll have to figure out what, uh, what we're calling these guys, but it, whatever you're calling them, I mean, they're, they're really loaded up deep, you know, with, with, with Dale and Khalid, Julian, uh, at, at Justin Amiola is down that list. Ade Ogundeji. Yes. Uh, it, it's a pretty deep group. Is it, is this something, is this a group that you can see being one of the sack leaders in the country? I mean, Notre Dame is not known for its defensive pressure on the quarterback. The last several years have been kind of really nice because they, they put on it, but they still not been in, in, in those huge top top end of the categories. Right. With all these pieces put together now, do you think that's something they can do? And is it something that they have to do just because of the question marks at, at linebacker? I think the answer is it's something that they have to do. And I go back and I hate to kind of dwell on the playoff, but you look at the playoff. Yeah, that's your big boy. You you got you get you have to you have to compare right. up. It's your biggest boy. Clemson number one in sacks. Bama five in sacks. We're not gonna again. We're not gonna bring up Oklahoma because their defense was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point that I'm Alabama and I will reference Alabama on this because Alabama the Alabama team that you guys played in 2012 was not the Alabama that we saw that we've seen of late. Right, that Alabama team from 2012. Was they only had 35 sacks. They were good. They were in the top 20 at getting to the quarterback. The Clemson team in 2012 was was number 20 at getting to the quarterback. They had 34 sacks. But then we saw Alabama start to make a change as they played, because 2012, remember, is the year they played Johnny Manziel. Right. It's the, it's the, and then we see them as they play, they get into those games with Ole Miss. And then in 2015, we see a completely different Alabama where they put a premium on sacks instead of a premium on just playing make your run fits and good gap out defense. They go to number one in sacks in 2015 and it completely changes who they are as a team and they become more dangerous. They become more explosive. They become more dynamic on defense. They take some of, they realize that one of the ways to take pressure off of our secondary is to make the quarter is to force the quarterback to make bad throws. Alabama was a secondary forward defense from 2008 to 2014 and then they become a pressure oriented defense in 2015 and in 2015 they're number 1 in sacks in 2016 they're number what are they they're number 13 in sacks in 2017 and again they're back to number number 5 in sacks in 2018 they become a defensive line a linebacker a pressure oriented defense over the course of those years because Nick Saban realizes I can't beat these guys without pressure. I can't beat Johnny Manziel without pressure. I can't beat even Chad Kelly without pressure. And I cannot beat Desha- <laughs> I can't beat Deshaun Watson. I can't beat Kyler Murray without pressure. And 
I say that to say this, when you think about this Georgia football team, Georgia, everybody thinks there was a, a very thin margin between Georgia and Alabama, but part of that margin was the fact that Georgia only had 24 sacks a year ago. They didn't have anyone to get to the quarterback. So they had no chance when it came to actually putting together these games. Alabama played a bad SEC championship game and still won because Georgia could not put pressure on Tua and then ultimately couldn't put pressure on Jalen Hurts versus a Georgia team that was able to get pressure that beat Baker Mayfield because they were able to get more sacks in that 2017 season. So say all that to say this about Notre Dame. Yes, rev up the pressure. Get to the quarterback. (laughs) If you can get to the quarterback, you make your secondary look better. And that's the thing that I think goes a long way to fixing the to to not not fixing fixing isn't the right word it goes a long way to showing people that this is a team that does belong in the playoff now okay well let's move let's now that you mentioned georgia let's move on to i want to talk real quick about notre dame's basically the three toughest games this year yes um which is going to be georgia michigan and probably a road trip to stanford i you know i yep. maybe maybe usc is the third biggest one i don't know but the Going out on the road the last game of the year to California has not been Notre Dame's best suit, so we'll we'll throw that in the number three spot. So let's talk about Georgia. Um, look, I've been on record quite a bit. People want to really put this as a – like. there's a lot of people that are picking a, a decent-sized loss from Notre Dame here. I'm looking at them with losing five of their top, their top wide receivers from last year, and I, and I know they're big and bad. I, I get it. But just with that, it didn't. This Georgia defense doesn't seem like the one that we saw in 2017 in South Bend. And losing all those playmakers on offense, I you know, I just think that's a that's a lot to cover. I don't care who you are, that's a lot to have to make up. And it's early in the season, so all the time, and not like they're really playing anybody leading up to Notre Dame. So all their timing, all all the stuff that goes down with that, you know, may not quite be there. So what are your thoughts? You know, I, I'm still predicting a Notre Dame loss, but it, it's been a close, you know, I'll, I'll say it's been a close loss that week. I'll pick them to win. Don't, don't worry about me. I'll, I'll, get, <laughs> I'll get tanked up Wednesday night, fire up the flag of the fight song and, and, uh, and print out my, uh, my prediction. But how do you, how do you see that game? Uh, are, are, am I on the, do you think I'm on the right path there? Is it right to be kind of, have somewhat of confidence because this isn't the same defense as we saw in 17 and the, and this offense does, even though they do have playmakers, there's so many non, there's so many guys not on this team from last year that were there. Um, yeah, I think losing, obviously losing Deandre Baker hurts then losing Deandre Walker hurts them even more because he was the only guy that could get to the quarterback. I think losing Jeremiah Holloman in this offseason, in addition to the guys that went to the NFL, that is tough. I trust Deandre Swift. I think he's going to be the best player on this football team. Uh, speaking of Georgia, but I will put it this way. If, if Britton Cox or Nolan Smith emerges as a true pass rusher, then Notre Dame loses. But if they don't have a true pass rush threat, someone that can be disrupted, Notre Dame will be in this game and will probably win this game in Athens because, because the it's it's it it feels a lot like a mirror match right two offensive lines that are going to push people around two defenses that maybe we're not going to get sacks or we're not going to get a ton of tackles for loss but we are going to make our run fit so you're going to have to go on long drives to beat us 
And I think that's a game where that's a coin flip game. And so it is that to me, that's the way that I view the situation. I am very much looking forward to this game, obviously. But if Georgia doesn't have a playmaker emerge as someone that can get to the quarterback, they're going to be in trouble this season. They're going to be in trouble against Notre Dame. They're going to be in trouble against Florida. They're going to be in trouble against Auburn. They're going to be in trouble against Texas A&M. And I think that for people to deny that as a massive issue for them is is true dishonesty. And so, I mean, coming in yesterday, ranked number three in the country, do you think that's a little up there? Or do you, I think, I mean – I, look, I've known I've known Felder for a long time. Jeez, so, yeah, over a decade, right? <laughs> what, what, yeah, man, it's it's since our since the blog one days, yeah. you know. But uh, I've never known you to to give two shits about, especially preseason polls. Um, yeah, but does but just in our you know in our own minds, our own rankings, does Georgia feel right at third? At third, um, is it is that or is that just a case of we're we're kind of lacking information on other teams right now? Well, I mean, we have a we have a we have a one and a two. We have a one and a two, and then we have everybody group, else. We have a group of probably eight teams, nine teams that could be three, with Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame. Um, I'm going to throw Texas A&M and LSU in the mix. Um, Texas and Oklahoma. So there's eight teams kind of that belong in that discussion. And it depend depending on how they fix some of the problems that they have. So I'm fine with Georgia being number three. I think that there's a obviously ob, there's an obvious recency bias in terms of a lot of people that forget what games actually look like and only remember the final scores. <laughs> and uh, because if you remember the SEC, the actual SEC championship game, you would be like, oh man, this team <laughs> they suck. <laughs> but. And by suck, I don't mean that they are as bad as, you know, whether you want to go Vanderbilt or Arkansas or whatever. I just mean that they're not nearly on the level of of Clemson and Alabama. And so I, I think that the big key here is we have a one and a two, and then we have teams competing, competing to be in that same group. I think the biggest thing to me was not Georgia at three or even Oklahoma at four. It was Ohio State because – they got a quarterback that they don't know what to do with and their linebackers were trash a season ago. And you just lost your, your head best coach. Head, <laughs> you lost your, right. the main dog there. You lose your second best head coach of the modern era of college football. Right. So that to me stood out even more because what, what are they going to do? Justin Fields is not Dwayne Haskins. He can't run a Dwayne Haskins offense. So you had a beautiful 50 touchdown season where you didn't even get into the playoff and now you're rebuilding. So it'll be interesting, but to go back to Georgia, I just think that this is a team. I don't trust them. I I, I want to see what they have a new offensive coordinator in James Coley. Obviously um, I want to see if he's more willing to push the pace. I want to see if he can bring Kirby smart out of his, Nick Jim, Saban his not, not, Nick, not, but it's not even Nick Saban because Nick Saban understands Every game that he plays against a, a comparable opponent, he knows it's a race to 40 points. He knows it's a race to 40 points. Kirby Smart still doesn't understand that. He doesn't get it, that I need to score. He stopped at 28 in the SEC championship game, and that's why they lost that game. That's why I can't trust him. And he thinks he could – Kirby Smart thinks he can win every game 24 to 17. 
instead of going, we got to get to 40. And so it's, I'm curious to see if Coley can bring him out of that. I mean, they had the 73rd ranked pass offense in the country with the wide receivers that got drafted. <laughs> that doesn't, that, that doesn't square up. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. It doesn't, you know what square, else doesn't up. square up. You know what else doesn't square up, Michael? What? Michigan. I, I just, I cannot for the life <laughs> of me figure out. And look, I know, I know that I got like the strand of DNA in me that is always going to, you know, pee on Michigan's parade or, or sure. whatnot. But I just cannot figure out for the life of me, just based on off of last year, what they bring back. Like just basic facts tell me that Michigan is not number one, should not be ranked ahead of Notre Dame going into the season. If you if you want to put any spice on the rankings, but I just can't see it. Now I realize that their schedule is basically Ohio State, Notre Dame, and I think that they could clean them without with everybody else. But against some of the better teams. I just they would just get flat out exposed, but yet everyone's acting like this is a truly a team that can that can compete for a national championship. I mean, what the hell? I think that they have the talent to be there. I think that we talked about Curry Smart. I think Jim Harbaugh is also a 24 to 17 football guy. The fact that he won't cut Shea Patterson loose to go run around and make plays speaks worlds volumes again michigan has wide receivers that are going to they will have three wide receivers drafted Tariq black nico collins and dante people's jones those guys are all those guys are all going to donovan people's jones those guys are all going to be drafted and the fact that we i can say that with confidence and know that and in addition to to sean McEwen will also be drafted as a, as a wide receiver, or excuse me, as a tight end. The fact that we can say that, but also know that their pass defense, their pass offense will be trash again this year. That's not okay. Like that to me is the part where you're just, we're, what are we doing here? Because I look at this team, I see like, and I guess that's one of the things that gets frustrating about doing recruiting is I see these guys play before they are affiliated with any right. college football team. <laughs> I know how good they are. The same holds true for Oklahoma's defense. I, those guys, they have some really good players on defense. They're being coached horribly. Michigan's offense. Yeah, well, Notre Dame recruited a lot of those guys at Oklahoma's defense. Exactly. And if they went to Notre Dame, they'd be playing a lot better. But because they, got, they were at Oklahoma getting poorly coached, they looked terrible. Notre Dame has, or excuse me, Michigan has the same issue offensively. I know we've seen Shea Patterson absolutely ball out at Ole Miss. We've seen it happen. And then he gets to Michigan and they're like, can you hand the ball off 45 times a game and throw it 20? And um, please just be safe. Don't take any risk. Like Shea Patterson is a risk taker. He needs to don't treat him like he's playing football at damn Wisconsin. Yeah. They kept him tied up last year. And we, I, I, got, I mean, we were all expecting a, a, a lot more movement to start off the season there with them. And it was such – the offense was so conservative, and Notre Dame just teed off on them. I yeah. mean, it was – you know, I, I am not big – I am not sold on Michigan's offensive line this year because I saw what it was last year when we played them. And I, I just I just think there's a huge difference in, in talent on both – on going up against each other. Sure. So they just, I mean, they just corralled Patterson and beat the crap out of him. Right. And, but at the same time, you know, if you're 
with a football mind, you're looking at that, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm fist pumping. But I'm thinking, man, there's like a hundred different things they could do to counter against that to at least have a fighting chance because it never looked like a fighting chance. Yeah, but are they going to do any of those things? Apparently they have a new offensive coordinator that has everybody, you know, what Josh Gaddis is. Well, let's get into the, it. Uh, the world on fire. Let's get into it. Josh Gaddis, offensive coordinator. I think he's a promising offensive coordinator prospect in a vacuum, but he's never called plays. Yep. This is his first year as his as a solo. And I don't even think I'm not even worried about those two things. I think that that's fine. Here's the big part. He works for Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> you think, and this is the first time that he's relinquished it. You're right. So it's yeah, but how, for how long? How long is Jim Harbaugh going to let this guy go out and call plays? If he doesn't have immediate success, is Harbaugh not going to rein him in? Is Harbaugh not going to say, let's not do that? Is Harbaugh not going to say, hey, give it back to me. I'm going to do it. Like he's a control freak. Yeah, it's the same if, you know, for Notre Dame fans, listen, this is the same kind of deal as as basically as Brian Kelly handed it all over to Chip Long. It's, it's the same kind of dynamic yeah. uh, with, with Harbaugh and with Gaddis there. So I'm I'm just very but at least like I'm just very I'm wary of it and I'm curious to see if it does work. I hope it works. I look, I know I know Josh ah. Gaddis. Josh Gaddis <laughs> played he played with one of my really good friends. They played in the NFL together. He went to Wake Forest. We're from North Carolina. I'm rooting for him. I just don't know if Harbaugh is going to give him enough rope to actually go out and make plays because, they, like you said, there are ways to mitigate some of the deficiencies along the offensive line. It's your quick game. It's your it's working through some of these like some package plays. It's all these things that we actually did see Alabama use. And that we've seen, like, it's things that we've seen actually work. It's things that we've seen even Syracuse do to keep it close against Clemson or to beat Clemson a couple of years ago. It's things that we've seen happen, but I don't know if Harbaugh is going to let it happen that way. And that's the biggest question I have with Michigan. Okay, so how do you, I mean, do you have any thoughts about Notre Dame, Michigan then? Uh, and look, and this is a, it's a weird time for us. Usually this is a beginning of the season, yeah. first, second game thing. This is October 26th. Uh, it's my youngest son's birthday, for God's sake. So I gotta right. fight all that. I gotta fight all that to begin with. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, so by then, we'll, we'll, you know, it, it's, it's Notre Dame, Michigan's usually like the surprise. Like when that game happens, you know how those seasons are going to go after that game. Well, we're going to be all past that <laughs> coming yes. into this. So, do you, how do you do you see that game unfolding one way or the other? I have, I'm honestly like in my mind as if it's played right now, I think that we're looking at a very tight football game, probably that 17, 14, 24, 17 type game where a mistake cost either team, the ball game, whether it's a turnover or it's, you know, a drop pass where either team can win. But at that stage in this, in this, we're talking two months into the season, they're going to be completely different ball clubs with injuries and freshmen emerging like the difference, like if this game's played at the start, we don't know. Like Zach Charbonnet is a true freshman. We don't know if he's going to be any good for Michigan at the running back position. In October, guess what? He might be one of the freshmen of the year. So I think that's going to be interesting to see. Um, I'm I I can't there I can't have a feel for this game right now because I don't know what Josh Gaddis is going to be as an offensive coordinator, or more importantly. I don't know what he's going to be allowed to be as an offensive coordinator. Okay, that's fair enough. Now, so we're uh, 
we're kind of running over here just a little bit, but so look, instead of talking about uh, about the Stanford game specifically, uh, let's just uh, let me ask you: How do you feel? What about Notre Dame season? Uh, is this a you know is this a playoff bound team? Is this a, a New Year's Six team? Is this a uh, dare I say Camping World Bowl team? Um, <laughs> kind of where do you have them pegged? And 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 you know as, as far as you know what we're going to do this year. So for me, I look at this. I look at this as the game that I think that they most likely lose is Georgia on the road in Athens. Okay, this should be probably an eleven-win team. Um, at the worst, a ten-win team, and at best, again, again undefeated. And I think that should be the real. The goal should be an undefeated season for this team, and people should be not upset if it's a 10 win season, but if it's anything less than that, that's when I would be like, man, we really barring major injuries. We really dropped the ball on X, Y, and Z. And there are some games that I think will be sneaky tough. I'm speaking to Virginia uh, specifically, because I think Bryce Perkins has taken another step forward and Bronco Mendenhall is going to play a brand of football that really uglies up the game. And those are the games that kind of can go sideways at any turn. So, I do think that this is a team that I mean we're looking at double digit wins with a with an opportunity to get into the playoff. If you come into that last week eleven and zero, playing at Stanford, depending on how Stanford season's gone, you got an opportunity to make another case for the playoff. But I will say this: they better be more explosive offensively for people to feel confident about putting them in the playoff. But they got to beat they got to beat up their their cup. They got take care of your cupcakes, right? Take care well, of your no, cupcakes, but my, also the numbers. The num I'm I'm the numbers have to be there. Like you got to blow people out, and like on this on the games that people are tuning in: Georgia, USC, Michigan, maybe Virginia Tech, definitely Stanford. You got to look good offensively to the point where right. people are like, "Yes, this is it." I, I've I've said, and and I know you're going to agree with me. The, the dark cloud that held, that hung over Notre Dame's head all last season was because of the way they played yes. and beat ball state and Vanderbilt. And that was why everyone wanted to put, because Michigan, Notre Dame handled Michigan just fine. Like yeah. they, Michigan's offense scored 10 points. They, Notre Dame played conservative as F, you know, in the second half, they handled them. That was, that was not a close game. That was a handling. And then when you, but then they go out and <laughs> completely overlook ball state play like crap. Then you have a close game against Vanderbilt, which could be absolutely forgivable if you hadn't if, if you had blown Ball State out by like thirty points, right. Michigan on the meanwhile went took care of their cupcakes and by taking care of them they blew them out. So that created this weird seed of doubt where somehow people thought that Michigan was better than Notre Dame despite an actual game being played. But then that hunt over them the rest of the season. It was like here's an undefeated team with a tough schedule that people are saying, yeah, you know, I don't know if they're going to belong in the playoffs if even even undefeated. Like, right. What the hell is that all about? So they absolutely, you're absolutely right. They absolutely have to take care of people this year. They have to be yeah. more explosive. They have, they have to be able to just, you know what? This ain't a problem. We're not going to, this ain't a fourth quarter thing. This is a first half thing. Yes. They got it. You got to put numbers up. And I think it's one of, because again, I go back to one of these is not like the other. Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, incredibly explosive score from distance. Let's, you know, two play drives. We're we're in the end zone, and I think from a perception standpoint that matters. But I also think from an in game standpoint, 
that's another thing that does matter because when you're on that stage, you got to be able to take advantage of the one mistake that a team makes and score. And you got to be able to take advantage of that one mistake all the time. And for Notre Dame, it, it wasn't that. And I think about it this year in the playoff, we're likely going to have Trevor Lawrence with 45 touchdown passes Tua with 45 touchdown passes and Ian book not getting there with 19 touchdown passes. And I know he didn't play the whole season, but he's going to have, he, you got to, he got to throw 35 touchdowns this year. And that's, yeah, the, that's the thing. That's the thing that I'm looking for because that's the thing. That's the way that I will know that Notre Dame has made a change and they are pushing to be in the same discussion with Clemson and Alabama. And I'll be honest, I don't give a crap about any other schools until they get to that level. Until you All get right. to Notre Dame, Alabama level, I don't care. <laughs> I, I like the attitude. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> well, Hey everyone, we're, we're going to wrap this up. It's, it's busy season. I'm not going to take up too much of, uh, Felder's time, especially he's he, he's got to make a new map around Chicago. So, which is <laughs> well, you can always you can catch him on Twitter uh, at in the bleachers. He has been the man on Twitter for for a long time, and like I said, I've known him forever. Um, and is I really appreciate you, Mike, coming on here and taking the time to, uh, it's to always talk fun, to Notre Dame football. It's always good to link up. Make sure nobody kills himself by drinking the force. Yeah, hey, listen, that, I forgot to mention that, and I had that on my notes. Like this is the this is the man who is the reason why for every Notre Dame home opener there is a nasty drink. It's a delicious drink. It's delicious. It is good, but it's the one I push the most. And you know what's funny is Mike. I still get people tweeting me back like, "Oh dear God, somebody just tried it for the first time." Yeah, because I push it every year. That first home opener, (laughs) like I, it's gonna hurt. Remember telling me. Yeah, it's gonna (laughs) hurt you. It's going to hurt you and give you power. <laughs> <laughs> you will be the strong, strongest man. I, you know, and I, I just, I copy and paste that pretty much every year. So your, your story of passing out with the baseball team yeah. uh, is still, it still is on there every single year. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. Uh, listen, Brian Kelly's press conference is going to be here in about an hour. So there's going to be a ton of, we'll have this podcast up, but there's gonna be a ton of stuff on the site this weekend, moving forward in the fall camp. It's getting real folks. Uh, time, time to, uh, start thinking about your future with the season (laughs) and, uh, make amends with your family. So from me to you go Irish. (laughs) 